says this, I have written briefly to you to encourage you and to declare this uh, to be true of grace. Stand firm in it. She who is Babylon and who is like the chosen who sends you your greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Those are the last, uh, those are the closing words of the book of 1 Peter. And uh, if you've been with us during the fall, you know that we've been spending the fall going through Esther. And when we finished Esther, we learned that even though God has never mentioned in the book, that we see his hand of sovereignty behind the scenes, and that we are to take fact uh, take comfort in the fact that when we don't see God move, when he's silent, he's still moving. So what I'd like to do today is I, I kind of like to introduce what we're going to be talking about for the next couple of months. We're going to be doing a series called Drifters, which uh, is a study chapter by chapter, verse by verse, in the book of 1 Peter. Why am I calling it Drifters? You're just going to have to come and find out. <laughs> But uh, it'll be good, and I'm really excited about it, and I'm pumped for it, because essentially Peter is a book, um, i got to make sure i got the notes on this, uh, Peter is a book uh, for those of us who feel like we're under pressure. It's a book on how to respond when you've been misplaced, and you are sojourning in your life because you've been in a situation where you've been misinterpreted, or, mis, uh, or mistreated in some way. It's a book on suffering. It's a book for you if you are dealing with things in your life that you are dealing with a whole bunch of pressure. Whether or not it's over-persecution or subtle pressure, Christians have always faced trials in this world, and our culture is no exception to that. And the book of 1 Peter offers us encouraging by reminding us of our identity as chosen sojourners and committing, committing us to do good. So basically, here's what First Peter teaches. First Peter is a book that teaches us how to deal with it when uh, trials in our life come. It's not a book on why, it, on the suffering, it's a book on how, okay? So it's, it's not necessarily a book on asking the questions about why does suffering happen, you know, why, if there's a good God in the world, why did all this bad stuff happen? It's a book on when those times come, these are out again. Well, I'm excited for it. I mean, it's going to be a great time of encouragement. It's going to give you hope, and I'm really excited for that as we go through it. But giving that uh, explanation of what First Peter is, and that 1 Peter is a book on how to deal with trials and pressures that you're going to face in this life. I thought it might be uh, just a, an interesting uh, exercise just to uh, kind of do like a prequel message to that on the why. Why we suffer and why that. Because the question uh, inevitably comes whenever you are struggling with any kind of trial, whether at work, whether in the family, whether persecution, the very first question that everybody asks when they go through any kind of suffering is, why, right? And while I think that that is an important question to answer, and it's definitely one that the Bible itself with wrestles with, it's actually not the most relevant question. The most relevant question is, how are you going to deal with it? How are you going to deal with the suffering? Because 
At some point, you know, the why, you can get lost in the why, but that doesn't mean that the why isn't a, a, a valid question to consider when you're going through time of suffering. So, what I'd like to do today is I'd like to give you, it says three, it should say four, four popular ways that our culture tends to look at suffering and why Jesus is the best method, or I shouldn't say method, but the best person to trust with all that kind of stuff and all the trials that you go through and why is the best encouragement for you. So, the four ways uh, that uh, people tend to deal with suffering in our culture. The first one is this, is that evil is real, therefore God is not. Okay? How many of you have ever heard that one? Okay? It's more of an atheistic view, it kind of goes like this. So uh, uh, Dawkins and some of the more famous atheists, they will say something like this. They'll put three statements on the board that's true. One that says, God exists. Number two, God is all-powerful. And number three, uh, God is always good. And the argument basically is this, is that all three of those statements cannot be true of God at the same time because of the problem of evil. Uh, if you want an explanation about this, I think I got a clip from Neil deGrasse Tyson on this. So, in the West, there's two-thirds of scientists pray to a personal God on the expectation who will intervene in their day's affairs. But I can tell you this, productive scientists do not bring their, their, their Bible, their scripture, their holy books into the lab. Because they do not mix there. So they draw a line in the sand, and they do one in one place, then they worship on the weekends, Saturday, Sunday, whatever is your, your religious tradition, there. So to ask whether they can coexist, the answer is yes. It's empirically yes. I didn't ask that. I didn't believe it. Every description of God that I've heard holds God to be uh, all-powerful, very typical, and all-good. And then I look around, and I see a tsunami that killed a quarter million people in Indonesia. An earthquake that killed a quarter million people. If there is a God, the God is either not all powerful or not all good. Do you hear that? So the thinking in, when we're dealing with suffering, the question arises like, if there is a God, did you, did you catch what he says? He says, because there's such a thing as evil, it either means that if a God exists, he's either not able to control it, because and he could be a good God, or he is able to control it, and he is able to do something about it, and he chooses not to do so, therefore he is a bad God, right? Same sort of thing with Stephen Fry. It kind of goes like this. Uh, evil is real, but God is not. Atheism looks at evil and looks at suffering and says, uh, evil exists, and because evil exists, that's the reason that God does not exist. New Age philosophy, on the other hand, kind of says something on the opposite of Reddit. It says that God is real, but evil is not. How many of you have ever run into a person that actually believes that? Okay. Yeah, there's a few of you who are not. It's, it's kind of a, you know, a philosophy like this might be the Hinduism or something like that. Or, you know, you could run into various forms of Christians that actually believe this. I have a pastor friend of mine, and I, and I shared this one time, and he, he told me that he would have people in his congregation uh, that would refuse to visit family members in the hospital 
who were dying of cancer because they believed that to go into the hospital ward would be to acknowledge that the cancer is real and therefore that if I just do not acknowledge that the cancer is real, she's therefore not sick. I have met Christians like that. So there is kind of like, there's, there's one side that an atheistic view of suffering that says that uh, evil's real and God's not, but then on the other side there is a, another set of situation that says because God is real, evil is not, it's just one big illusion, okay? So there's that side of it. Then there is a, another one that kind of says what goes around comes around. When people, our culture deals with suffering, and pain, it's kind of, uh, I call it, I misspelled this, I'm sorry guys, but I call it Canadian karma. You know what karma is? Karma is the idea that uh, you get what you deserve. So if you do good things in this life, or uh, specifically in uh, Hindu traditions or uh, uh, Eastern philosophies, <coughs> if you are doing, if you have a good life now, it's because you were a good person in a past life. If you are suffering right now, it's because you are doing something bad in a past life and you are being punished for it. And we kind of have a uh, Western view of that. We kind of say, well, you know, you are a bad person, therefore bad things happen to you. Or if you are a good person, it's because a good person, ha uh, you, you're blessed because God is blessing you and, you know, your life is good. And so you kind of judge whether or not a person has a good character or a bad character based upon how hard their life is. We actually see a lot of this in the New Testament. Because in that day, if you were sick, if you were uh, crippled, if you had any sort of injury whatsoever, the thinking was is that you were being punished by God for your sins. So the idea was, is you get what you deserve. That's what karma is. Karma is kind of this idea that you kind of, um, you kind of uh, get what you deserve. But that's not Christianity. The beautiful thing about Christianity is karma says all the pain and all the suffering, you get what's coming to you. But the gospel comes along and says the exact opposite. It says you don't get what's coming to you. You get what you don't deserve. And that's the beautiful message of Jesus Christ is the mercy and grace. Is these, are, uh, these are all sort of the four kind of philosophies or kind of uh, postures or attitudes that are popular in our kind of country and our way of thinking when it comes to issues of suffering. And the problem with them is, is they don't really work. Take atheism for example, right? You take an example of atheism and you apply it to suffering, it really doesn't have anything to offer people that are suffering because in that worldview, suffering is just part of the evolutionary mindset, right? And you don't really have anything to say to anyone who's suffering because of your atheistic mindset. So what winds up happening is if you come at evolution or you come at suffering and pain from the point of an atheist, you have nothing to offer, and you wind up borrowing from a religion. So here's what, I've, I've said this kind of before, but when people go through times of suffering, and I've had friends that are agnostic or atheist, and they are dealing with someone in their friend or family member who, who's going through something bad in their eyes, something trial, they'll say this, 
Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. I'm just, just going to give you thoughts and prayers. What kind of idea is that? That's a, a religious idea. There's nothing within atheism that helps any kind of comfort, any kind of merit for that. Or if you take something like a new age kind of Hindu philosophy that says evil is real, or sorry, God is real, but pain is not. That's, I'm sorry, that's quite denial. You're not going to sit there and you tell me that, that the pain isn't real. You have nothing to offer. People don't get better by denying that they're sick. It just doesn't work. So you have that option. <clears throat> or you have karma. The idea that, you know, you're paying for your sins in your past life. Well, you know what the problem with that is? That means that the things that you're going with right now, you know, are punitive. And you have absolutely no control over whether or not uh, you can rectify those mistakes in the baby because you can't remember your past life. And so that's why, that, those are the three ways, uh, or ways that our culture actually deals with suffering. And I want to say to you that I don't think they hold the candle to what Jesus has. I actually think that when it comes to issues of trial in your life, that trials in your life, or whatever you're dealing with, any kind of pressure, any kind of temptation, anything that you're going through, big or small, trusting in Jesus is the best way to deal with any sort of problems that you have or coming up. Why? Because I believe that Jesus gives meaning to the suffering. The person and work of Jesus Christ gives actually uh, uh, some sort of meaning behind the suffering. That's not something that atheism can offer. It's not something that New Age philosophy can offer. It tries to avoid it. It's not something that, you know, karma can offer either. And how does Jesus do that? I want to give you four reasons uh, about how God or Jesus brings meaning to your suffering that are actually very encouraging. And I want to make sure that I'm not downplaying any kind of thing that you're going through. I don't want to say, well, this is the way that you should view suffering, so just kind of buck up and deal with it. I get it, I get it that it's hard, I get it it's painful, but I also wanted you to see that there's, there's, there's meaning behind what you're going through, that it's not actually, um, uh, it's not actually hopeless. That God can take something bad and turn it into something amazing. So, quickly, here are some four reasons why God gives meaning to your suffering. The first one is that suffering is not uncontrollable. You can write this down if you want. Yeah. Suffering is not something that is outside of God's control. Yeah. Regardless, uh, regardless of whether our suffering is brought on by God or by our own choices, we have to believe that God is in control. We have to believe that God is in control of the suffering, that it's not something where God is trying to, God's over here and he's trying to like hold it together, and here's suffering over here, and it's just too big of a problem for God to handle. That's not true. Whether you believe in an Arminianism or a Calvinism, we have to believe that our God is bigger than our suffering. 
Sovereignty is the teaching we get from the Bible that all things remain under God's control. Romans 8.28 says this. And, uh, I really want you to catch this. Okay? Um, I, you know, a number of years ago, um, you guys remember Van, Van will come here and he'll do like uh, a guest spot every now and then. And uh, A number of years ago, he wrote a thesis paper uh, for, for Prairie. In which he wrote the idea of God's innocent control of evil. How can God be in control of everything and yet not be the one that causes us to sin? So he wrote a paper on that, and for that paper he wrote, he went through every every book of the Bible, and he wrote down every verse where God was in control of something. Would you like to see how many verses that is? If you want, I can give you a copy of it later. But these are all verses in the Bible where he referenced where God did something good or something bad, where God initiated control over something. And I want you to understand something. The biggest thing that I want you to take away from this is that God is not overpowered by the trouble in your life. It's not something so uncontrollable that he can't do anything about it. We have a God that is bigger than the suffering in the world. Number two, I want you to understand that uh, pain can actually be a gift from God. Pain can actually be a gift from God. Let me read to you uh, from Hebrews 12, verse uh, 6. It says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. I'm going to go to the next verse, guys. I don't think it's... It, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, besides this, uh, I mean, if you skip down to verse 11, I skipped over a verse or two, it says this. For the moment, all disciples, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained for it. I want to suggest to you today that when we go through hardships, it could be God's way of treating, uh, of, of uh, disciplining you. Not because he did anything wrong per se. It's because that he's using the moment to refine your character, to build you up, to establish you in some sort of way. What if, I want you to think about it like this. Imagine that there is a disease, like a physical disease that you have, where you feel no pain. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bad thing. Bad thing. Why is it a bad thing? Maybe you don't know what the dangers are that, like, we're down touching the soul. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you a perfect example, I'll give. So, if you were unable to feel any pain at all, if there was no, uh, like we're talking physical pain, if you were not able to feel anything, you just kind of put your hand on the stove and didn't realize that, your hand would burn. Okay? Pain there is a gift then from God to tell you, don't put your hand on the stove. Okay? Makes sense. And uh, when I was a kid, I did that. I, I, I wasn't a very smart kid, okay? So... My mom always told me never to touch the red hot element. 
but she would never tell me why, right? And I was a rebellious kid, and I decided that I would put my hand on the album. So being, being rebellious and saying, I'm an adult, BAM! Like, I had like the rings, like, it was, I learned really quickly why you don't touch the red hot element. Okay? And that my mom was actually out to protect me. My point being in that is, I didn't have a point with that, that was just a fun story. <laughs> um, my point being though, is that suffering actually tells you that something's wrong. And I want to park on that for a minute because if that's true, I want you to imagine that we're not just talking about physical pain, but we're talking about, about spiritual pain. And that you and I, we, we're, the Bible says is that we are enslaved to sin. Could you imagine a world where you were enslaved to sin, where you had the cancer of sin in your life, but there was no negative consequences from that? What would wind up happening? You would hurt your life. You would destroy your life because there's nothing, there's nothing bad or nothing happening that's going on. Suffering is a gift. It's a way of disciplining you and teaching you that, hey, something's not right here and you need to trust in God. Okay? Something's, something's not good. What if suffering is God's invitation to you to trust Him and hope for Him for a better world? What if God is using the suffering to tell us that this life isn't as good as it gets, that it should be better? And what if God is using suffering to instill in our hearts a longing and an unquenchable yearning for more than this world has to offer? What if He is using it to quest for something better? To point you to the person of Jesus Christ. You see, friends, I really don't think that if we were told that the world is a sinful place, but there were no negative consequences of it, we would turn to it. I think we have to realize that there is, the sin brings pain and death. And I think God uses that to draw us closer to Him. Number three, suffering, all of it, works out towards your good for those who what? Believe. Check it out. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Everything that happens in your life, good or bad, God will use for the eventual good. I listed four reasons real quick, uh, tangible reasons, uh, examples of this in Scripture. The first one is that God actually allowed suffering or used suffering to keep the promise of Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is a little bit tricky. Let me, let me unpack this for a bit. So, there's a verse in uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, verses 19. And when you read through 1 and 2 Kings, it's a list of all these kings in the Bible who ruled over Israel and Judah. And most of the time, they were good or bad kings. Bad, right? So if you're living under, that, under one of these bad kings, you're probably crying out to God. God, why don't you do something? These, these guys are bad kings. These guys are doing bad things. They're suffering. There's pain. Why don't you do anything about it? And it says here, it says that in, it says in verse 19, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. Okay? So here's all. Judah is now in a place where it is evil, where it is hurting people, where it is pressing people, where there's all sorts of like infanticide and all this sort of thing. It's a very dark place. Lots of suffering. 
And God is not willing to destroy it. Why? What does it say? For the sake of David. Because years and years and years prior to this text, he made a promise to David that he would not allow, no, uh, his, his, his sons would always reign on the throne forever. Okay? So here's what he's doing. In this part, this part he's not doing, dealing with sin, because he, or I shouldn't say sin, he's, he's not doing anything about the suffering in this case, because he's trying to keep the promise that eventually Jesus is coming. Do you understand? Sometimes God allows suffering to keep the promise. Okay? Other words, you can see this, I said, other times God allows suffering to improve our character. I think about Job's repentance. Okay? Job, if you know the story, is, is like Job is a man who <laughs> suffers, but he doesn't do anything wrong. At the end of the story, however, if you're very careful, if you, you have a careful reading of it, what winds up happening is that he gets so frustrated that he goes and he demands from God an answer. He's God, I've done everything right. I demand, I deserve, I, I am within my rights for an answer. And the last half of the book, or the last part of the book, God comes in and he answers Job, Job and he says, I don't have to give an answer to you. And so what winds up happening is then Job repents of that and realizes that in that moment what is happening is that God is using the suffering to draw out this entitlement that you're seeing in Job. I've done everything right. I deserve an answer. God, you owe me. I'm perfect. I, you know, that kind of sort of mentality. Number three, I want you to understand that God understands suffering. No one understands pain more than the person of Jesus Christ. It says this in Hebrews 4, 5. It says, for we do not have a high priest. That's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, and yet is without sin. Hey, whatever you're going through in life, Jesus understands. God understands your pain. Have you ever been abandoned by your friends? Jesus knows what that feels like. Have you ever been wrongly accused of something that you didn't do? Jesus knows what that feels like. Have you ever been laid bare and ashamed? Jesus knows what that feels like on the cross. Have you ever lost your bride or your spouse? Jesus or God himself knows what that feels like. When he says that God has, or Jesus comes from his bride, the church, to rescue her. Jesus has uh, a complete understanding of what it feels like to suffer. He's not a mean God or an unspirited God. He loves you and he's gone through the same experiences that you have. Probably to a a degree that you and I have never experienced, and he loves you. He knows what it is that he's going through. Number four, Jesus came to solve the problem of evil. This should be an an easiest one. You You see, friends, the whole point of Jesus coming to earth was to die on the cross for all the evil. So when people ask the question, you know, why doesn't God do something about evil? The question is, or the answer is, is that he did. He did it by dying on the cross for our sins. 
And so here's what, that's what I wanted to give you with this morning. I want to give you four reasons why, that, why you can trust God with your suffering. Number one is that it's not outside of God's control to do something about it. Number two, I should remember what I wrote. Uh, number two, all of it works together for God for your good. Number three, Jesus understands what it's like to suffer. And number four, Jesus did something about the suffering of evil. So I want to, I want to hope that that kind of encourages you. <laughs> suffering is a big topic, and it's a very loaded topic, but I, I'm, I'm hoping that it kind of gives you a framework where you can trust God with the trials and the pressures of your life. And I'm hoping that as we go through 1 Peter, it might be a blessing to you to know how to handle it when you do feel pressure. Is that okay? All right, let's uh, close with one more time.